Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I am your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 27, my interview with my friend Nicole. Uh, This is a great and I think kind of rare thing to get to experience. I'm sitting down with someone who is running for state Congress, uh, for uh, House of Representatives for the state of Michigan. And I think that's unique in a way that at that level, especially, we don't really get to learn much about our candidates. Um, There's not a lot of outlets outside of, you know, public access television and occasionally um, local radio interviews. So I was really excited to sit down and and learn, you know, not only uh, what she represents, but uh, what she came from and where she came from. And I was really kind of blown away by the things that she's gone through in her life and um, looking forward to see great things in her future. So regardless of which side of the aisle you are with or for or however that looks, please enjoy my interview with my friend, Nicole. It's fine. But thank you again for for doing this. Um, I I start this out usually with how I know somebody, but in order to do that, I have to kind of tell a story about myself. No, that's fine. Which is... Yeah, 2016 election uh, happened, and I used, like, the anger, I guess, I had at the time. Um, to d- I decided, I'm going to get in politics, and, like, I'm going to be the person that makes the change. Um, and the more research I did, the more I was like, oh, this is a lot of work. <laughs> and I, d- I did, you know, got all the demographics and found out uh, everything I could about, uh, I was looking at the 11th district for Michigan. And then I eventually, after a few months, uh, gave up on that. And then I, looking into people that were planning on running in 2018, I found you. And I believe our first interaction was I reached out to you. And I was like, you need to be on social media more. Because <laughs> um, based on some of the stuff I did, there was so many people that were going to become voting age in 2018 that like I felt like the young demographic was an important demographic for me to go after. And then I was like, Oh, I wanted to, and any, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but any advice I could get in part. And then, yeah, that's my first interaction with you. I think. Well, you weren't the only millennial poking me to have a, a stronger <laughs> presence on Instagram and Instagram was a, is still a platform. I'm not sure quite is the purpose for it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I guess because it's more, um, picture based. Yeah. Yeah. And I come from a generation where you, when you had a camera, you had to take film pictures and you had to turn them in and get them developed. And so um, taking pictures wasn't um, so prevalent, but I've, I've, I've obviously immersed into that culture of taking pictures and digital cameras came out when, you know, whatever, like early 2000s. Yeah. So I moved into that, but um, it just it, the platform itself didn't make a lot of sense to me. So it still doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> That's the reality of it, right? Right, and I didn't it's even just... know what to like in the the 2018 cycle. I wasn't really sure what to even put on it. So I spent my uh, my time on the campaign trail when I would knock doors throughout the district. Uh, if I saw an interesting sign next to a door that. Um, reflected um gun ownership and um i saw some of those yeah 
<laughs> right. Like, and it, you know, I think it was meant to intimidate somebody. So I'm like, yeah. well, this is interesting. I'll take a selfie with this picture of yeah. like a body riddled with bullet holes or. And you already have a topic you can discuss when you get to the Right. Door. So that's how I, you know, or I found, if I found something interesting while knocking doors, that was what I did. I, I can understand. I understand better now of, of its purpose. And I, I do utilize it more as you probably yeah. notice. Yeah. It's, and, and it's funny looking back, uh, I, I did all the research and stuff and I thought I, I knew so much. And the further I got away from it, the more I was like, Oh, you didn't know anything. And I mean, I feel like that's probably true with most things in life. The older you get, the more you realize you don't know anything. Um, but anyway, aside from that, uh, you personally jumping back in time. Um, well, do you have any siblings? I do. I have, um, a brother. I've, I have a one natural brother and I have three stepbrothers. Oh, okay. Um, older, younger, my, um, my, uh, I guess natural, I don't know if that's the right word, but, um, he's older. We're, we're, uh, 15 months apart with, oh, okay. so we were one grade apart in yeah, school. Yeah. So, and, uh, so we were really close, um, in age, but not necessarily close in, uh, behavior. We did a lot of fighting. <laughs> we didn't get along very well. We are, we're not, we're not alike at all. So, yeah. And then, um, I, like I said, I have three stepbrothers. Um, one is slightly older, one is slightly younger, and then I have one that's um, significantly younger. Bunch of boys and you. Bunch of boys and me. <laughs> did you grow up in Clarkston? I did. Okay. My parents moved to Clarkston in 1974. Okay. Yeah, I was two. Now you know how old I am. That's <laughs> no quick math here. No, uh, yeah. No, so I've always, I've always lived in the area. And then when did your parents divorce and then you get stepbrothers my dad was actually widowed oh in 1990 my high, senior year in high school my mom passed away that's too how did that happen um she was diagnosed at age 21 so this was 1970 with um, rheumatoid arthritis and normally that yeah. disease does not kill people but um no. her diagnosis was one of the worst that her rheumatologist had ever seen just degenerated pretty quickly um, no, it just, right. the, the, um, just how much, um, it's an autoimmune disease yeah. and it just attacked her body so much. And, um, she also had a condition called rheumatoid lung and that's ultimately what killed her. Um, so, um, sometime, I think I was in first grade, she was in the hospital and the doctor pulled my dad aside and said, go get your kids. She's not going to make it through the night. And she made it somehow. She made it through, mm. and then just so she was in and out of the hospital my whole childhood. Um, she had both knuckles replaced, which was twice, which was just the most bizarre thing to to see. Because yeah. when you if you see somebody with rheumatoid arthritis, their their hands are typically yeah. gnarled, yeah. and um, so they tried to replace both knuckles, and just she had this weird metal device, and her fingers were suspended by r- rubber bands, and. Was she, did this happen suddenly or was it just throughout your childhood? It just got worse and worse and worse. Well, it it was always there when I, yeah. since I was born. Yeah. I mean, cause I think my, I think she was 21 when she had my brother. Okay. And then, um, I was, she was 23 when she had me. So it had always been there since I was yeah. a kid and, uh, it did get, she would have some good years. Um, and then obviously bad years, but, um. Yeah, by the time I was 14, so she was probably in her mid-30s. She was 41 when she passed. Um, by the time I was in my, my like I was 14, I was um, changing um, her feeding tube, like giving her f- medication oh, wow. and food through her stomach tube. And then she had a trach. And I was trained how to clean out a trach, which was 
really gross as a 14 year old. A lot of responsibility. It was for a lot a of responsibility. <laughs> and um, I remember really struggling that summer because I was, I was homebound taking care of her. I couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And finally, my dad hired somebody to come into the house and give me a little bit of relief. And of course, because I was the girl, I was, yeah. I was the one who took most of the responsibility. My brother got to go, whatever. Well, I imagine your dad was working, right? And my dad was working. He was, he had to provide for. That's right. Everybody, and then you right. were taking care of your mom and cleaning the house and Jeez. getting groceries and, um, yeah. And in fact, um, the my senior in high school and just before that, he. Uh, he um, was hired, he worked at Pontiac Motors, but then um, moved to Saturn. Okay. And so they were building the plant down in Tennessee at the time. And my dad, my senior year, my dad flew to Tennessee on Monday morning and he would fly back Friday night wow. because my brother and I refused to move to Tennessee our senior year. And that was the year your mom passed, too? And then she passed away in Jeez. March of 1990. That is a rough year. It was a very rough <laughs> year. But, you know, I, I, I think because Clarkson Schools provided such a wonderful music program, I just immersed myself with friends and music, and I, I somehow made it through. I mean, I, I was in therapy, but I didn't yeah. feel like I needed it. And, in fact, when she, she passed away, there was some group of kids who had lost their parents we all had to meet in that remember that you remember the your junior high well your your freshman year um high school well, building ju- yeah I was that, that I weird little building off to the side on the, the back of the building yeah yeah for some reason we met there for oh, some support group and i looked around and i'm like what <laughs> like and i'm like i don't need this anymore so i i stopped going but um yeah so it i somehow was mentally okay though I think because she had been sick my whole life, I really didn't yeah. think of it as uh, anything strange. In fact, it was probably a relief for her. Yeah. Um, so you, if your mom doesn't die till the end of your high school uh, or senior year, essentially. Um, so it's just you, your dad, your brother, your mom, mm-hmm. your whole childhood. Yeah. But your brother and you didn't get along at all, really, growing up? <laughs> no, we had similar <laughs> friends, and it wasn't that bad. But um, he just... He loved to go just close himself up in his room and listen to records. Like, he loved heavy metal, and I didn't. And so um, I would bother him to, like, come play a game with me or something. And he's just like, no, I'm with, you know, and slam the door in my face. Yeah. And so we, we, we shared our music. We both were in marching band in high school. Okay. That and was the music part, Leah. There was music. Yeah. Well, and I did solo ensemble, and right. I, I, I stayed involved in music as much as I could. I didn't do yeah. drama or anything like that. I loved choir. I did choir for years. Yeah. yeah. My brother was in choir too. I, I, I tried out in sixth grade and I didn't make it. So I said, never mind. I'm, I'm just meant to be a musician. They made you try out in sixth grade? Well, we had Let to. Let him sing, 11 we year old. <laughs> we did. And I didn't make it. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm not good enough. So now you can sing in your car and no one judges And I do. And I do karaoke. I can carry a tune. So yeah. Mr. Wright at Bailey Lake was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that? Is he still around? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but, uh, so did you find yourself kind of taking on a, like a mother role for your family as your mom got worse? And cause it sounds like you already kind of stepped up responsibility, especially taking care of her. I did. I mean, I, I think I naturally had to. It wasn't anything I wanted to do, but it just naturally happened. In fact, I remember driving her to doctor's appointments when I was 14. <laughs> so I was not even a legal driver. Yeah. So when I took driver's training, I was like, this is easy. <laughs> been doing this for years right this is no big deal um so what do you go to college after high school um i did 
Um, I went away to a private college called Olivet College. Okay. Um, my, so I graduated from high school in June. My dad literally moved to Tennessee like a week later. Because of the Saturn plant. He yeah. was, yeah, he had bought a house. He was ready to go. So I am parentless. And so I, um, I was, he uh, got me set up to go attend a, a year in college at uh, Olivet. And um, once I got there, because I went from being under parental guidance guidance to zero guidance, yeah. I kind of just went, whoa, and yeah. just it's began. Fun being 18. To, yeah, I just <laughs> really didn't um, follow uh, the rules, and I kind of just partied instead, and I kind of. Um, well, I imagine to, to some degree, you're making up for like lost years of being a teenager, right? Like you're taking care of your mom for four or five years, uh, and then you get like. You're kind of, I don't want to say free of it, because it's not like, not, I don't want to disrespect your mother, but like you're also, you're kind of free of it, right? You have. Right, exactly. It was just like this giant cloak of responsibility was lifted, and I didn't know how to handle that. So, and my dad was pretty strict growing up. For some reason, my brother didn't have any rules, but I did. I had to be home by 10 o'clock, and he didn't. So, having no rules, I think I just went a little crazy, and I just didn't know how to handle that shift in, um, in, uh, where I was living and what I was supposed to do. So um, I didn't return to Olivet the next year. I did. I, I had a blast. I joined yeah. a, a sorority and uh, lived lived um, the college life to the fullest. Where is that at? Um, it's like about a half hour, maybe 45 minutes southwest or south of, of Lansing. So it's kind of like between oh, okay. Lansing and Battle Creek. Okay. It's just like this little tiny. I was going to say, there's, that's like in the area of Michigan where there's not a lot. No. <laughs> and it was um, so small. I mean, like, I think the whole student population is like, was like 500 back oh, then. Oh, wow. So very tiny. Yeah. And some reason I picked that college because it was a place that nobody in Clarkson was going to go to. Yeah. For some reason, I just needed to start fresh and like, and I had a great time, but um, it just didn't last. But, um, and then I did enroll into um, OCC. And I did graduate from there. I have a, an associate's in liberal arts. Nice. Um, what's next for you? And you're in your twenties. And when do you when do you get married? When I husband? got married, um, I got married at age twenty seven. Okay. So to the year two thousand. Um, so you had a good part of a decade before you got married. I did. <laughs> I um, I spent um, a lot of my twenties virtually in survival mode. So like yeah. after flunking out of Olivet. I um, I worked direct care work. Okay. So um, and that's what I knew how to do. I knew how to take care of people. Yeah. So it was a natural fit, and that's what I did for um, a couple years, and literally living paycheck to paycheck and just making my rent. Did you stick around here, this area? I did. I lived in Pontiac. Okay. Um, so I came back home, but I couldn't afford to live in Clarkston, so yeah. I, I moved to Pontiac and I worked direct care, and um, I. Uh, um, my husband actually went to Clarkson High School too, so I'd mm-hmm. known him as a teenager. Oh, nice. And um, but we made a love connection, and, <laughs> and um, yeah, we moved in together, um, and we got married, and we bought our first house in Ferndale. Nice, yeah. yeah and there's it's funny because we kind of share this, uh, and I feel like everyone I know from high school—not everyone, but for the most part, most people—Truly's um, mom still I think is in the same house. Like there's the childhood home. Because uh, my mom's sold our house when I was 18. Like, I moved out at 18. I was like, I'm moving out the day I turn 18. <laughs> uh, got an apartment, and my brother had been gone for three years. And it was my grandparents' house originally. And 
my grandpa had passed. My grandma like stays mostly in Florida at this point. So my mom sold the house, but then like, there's something that shifts. I think when your childhood home is gone, like there is not that place to go back to. Right. Um, and it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot of people that have that. I mean, did you feel that when you came back? Cause this is still your hometown, but your house isn't here anymore. And right. It's, yeah. And it's weird because my childhood home is like less than a mile from my current home. <laughs> so it's a little bizarre that it's still there, but I have no connection to it anymore. But, no. um, yeah, I mean, it just, I literally had just boxes and I don't have a lot of stuff from my childhood. Yeah. You know, there's some people, like you say, like that still has their childhood home and yeah. they, like my husband, his, his parents still live in the house he grew up in. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I kind of lost those roots, but this is, you know, Clarkston will always be home. Yeah. Well, it's funny. My buddy's daughter goes to Pine Knob and she was having a sleepover at her friend's house and my buddy texted me. He's like, Hey, didn't you grow up on snow apple? I was like, yeah. And he asked me the address and I was like, that's my old house. Like she was having a sleepover at my old house. Oh, no way. And I was like, can we make friends with them? <laughs> can I go like see if <laughs> there's stuff still hidden up in the basement? Right. Uh, it's, it's just crazy. Like I still have this uh, fondness for that house. And in that time, it's, it's, it's weird. I don't know. I think I was just too rebellious in 18 to really like let go of it at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but so you're back in, you're back in Clarkston. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you're in Pontiac at the time, but you meet your husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, yeah. we, uh, we or would you, run into each other yes. at um, a, uh, a party that happened every year. Um, my, my best friend that I've known since I was two years old, her family and her brother would have a party every year and all of us Clarkston people would come back and then, um, his name is Todd. Um, and so we would hang out and then finally, um, we went out on our first date. Nice. We went to, um, Daiquiri Dicks. Daiquiri Dicks. Yes. That place has not been around in a long time. No, <laughs> no, but they had karaoke there and he loves doing karaoke. So that's where we went. Are you a karaoke fan? I am. I'm not quite the karaoke fan of my husband and he is a... A little bit of a whore when it when it takes like when it uh regarding getting up on a stage yeah so same here. <laughs> so i i'm i'm happy to sit back but yeah i've 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 spent some time uh, on the stage with a microphone yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm a big karaoke fan my wife not so much <laughs> i think well the last time i did it we went to this place up in flint and the sound was so terrible right. there was no um like amplifier to hear yourself. Yeah. And I sang a song that I'd never sang before. Oh, and I like, and I just bombed. <laughs> it was, um, the theme to, uh, America, uh, greatest American hero. You're probably too young to remember that show. I don't know that. Yeah, no, I don't oh. know the show or the theme. Yeah. It's, it was anyway, I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to be like really clever and play it, you know, sing a song that like, yeah. you know, the us middle agers would love. <laughs> And I, like I said, I bombed and I couldn't find the key and I just wanted to crawl into a hole and die. So <laughs> I haven't done it since because it was like so traumatic. So. so there won't be any karaoke fundraising events in your future? <laughs> well, I could, maybe my arm could be twisted. There you go. Um, what, and then you guys date and get married. Mm-hmm. Um, wait long before you start having kids? We got married in 2000 and then we had our first child in 2002. Okay. And you are, are both your kids still in school? Yeah, my uh, oldest is a senior, and then okay. I have a sophomore. One more year. One more year. <laughs> Actually, this year. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. Yes. Yeah, I still. Uh, if I'm ever anywhere, like in like a restaurant in Clarkston, people come in with their varsity jackets on. That'll make you feel old. I'll tell you what. <laughs> 
crazy stuff. It is. It is. It's it. Um, it feels like it's been a long time to get here, though. Where some people say like, "Oh, it'll go by so fast," and I'm like, "No, it's actually been a very long time." <laughs> you raise a kid with a with a learning disability and some behavioral issues, it the years go by a little bit slower. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what is, what is it like becoming a parent? I loved being a parent. Um, having one child was great. Um, I, um, I, at the time I worked at Comerica bank when I was pregnant with him and then I quote unquote retired. So I was able to be a stay at home mom and that was great. Um, when number two came along two years later, that's when things get, they get, it gets complicated trying to juggle two kids and, especially because my youngest was very active because he started to show um, some of the behavior issues as a toddler and then having um, a newborn with some medical issues. And um, he had, you know, his spina bifida. And um, the first several months of his life was spent going to um, an orthopedic weekly to get new casts on his legs. Jeez. So I'm sorry, what is that? So spina bifida, it's, um, it's a congenital disease. It's, um, it's like a, the second most common birth defect after okay. cerebral palsy. Jeez. And it starts um, when they're about five weeks old in the, in the uterus. And, um, oh, so, oh, so it starts, yeah. It starts very, yeah. That's the difference between um, spina bifida and um, cerebral palsy. Is cerebral palsy comes later on in the yeah. gestation, where cerebral, spina bifida is very early on. So, um, so they know, uh, like... With today's technology and stuff, they know before you even have the kid, usually, or usually. But um, like I had an ultrasound done, and it, it wasn't detected at all. Okay. Just maybe the way he was laying, or yeah. um, whatever. So we didn't know it until he was born. But he was um, part of his diagnosis. He was born with clubbed feet, so his ankles were turned at a ninety degree angle that they weren't supposed to. Jeez. So what they do with these babies is they serial cast them. So they take a um, a lightweight cast and they cast their little tiny legs. And um, so once a week, I would have to peel this cast off, give him a bath, and then bring him back in. And they would put another cast on him. This is your oldest? My younger. Your youngest. So trying to tow a very, very active, rambunctious toddler along yeah. to these appointments while having a, a, a newborn with all these issues. What is that doing to your stress level? I was not um, a very calm parent at that time. And and on top of it, um, one of the common things with kids with spina bifida is, um, oh my gosh, the condition is hydrocephalus. So, it, which is water. Throwing a on lot the, of big words at me, Nicole. <laughs> right. It means water on the brain. Okay. So when a baby's born with spina bifida, typically their back is born open, like, or it's, it's open when they're born. So his very first surgery at one day old was he closed his back. And so any nerves that are exposed yeah. are um, affected. And, um, and when they close that back, it can also um, disrupt the flow of cerebral, cerebral fluid from the brain down to like through his spinal column. And so they had to measure his head and it was growing. So they were concerned he had hydrocephalus. And so at a month old, they inserted what's called a VP shunt and into his brain. So virtually had brain surgery at... 30 days old, and it was outpatient surgery, which really, really freaked me out. And so it could just controls the fluid so it doesn't continue to build on the brain. Yeah. And now he's fine. He's never had it replaced. He's never had any issues with it. There are some neuro, neurosurgeons that believe it. It's really not even 
doing anything anymore that his body is naturally absorbing it. So, but knock on wood, we shouldn't have any issues with it. He's 15 and we haven't had any problems. So, and typically kids that have a problem with that shunt um, have multiple surgeries. They have a, there's a risk of infection and so many problems. So I'm so grateful we don't have to deal with that. I just can't imagine as a mother, like having like, you're helpless at that point, right? Like got to kind of let the doctors do what they're going to do and Mm-hmm. that's yeah that's, that's it was pretty that's crazy yeah so that serial um casting didn't work it didn't fix his feet okay so they tried this device and i forgot what it's called but it was like these two it was like a pair of white little boots with like a bar in the middle and he had to like wear this and it kept falling off and that didn't work either so eventually he did have to have surgery on both his legs to fix that ankle and straighten yeah. them out and one of them he had to have a repeat, so he had three different surgeries on his feet. Wow. And now he's got nice and straight feet. <laughs> um, and then um, he's had so, he's had several surgeries, but I, for somebody with spina bifida, he's actually medically pretty okay. Like yeah. there are kids that have problems with their kidneys or eyesight and learning disabilities, and he doesn't have any of those. Yeah. So we're actually pretty lucky. So you are a caretaker all around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> took yes. care of your mother, and then you got a job taking care of people, and then you had kids and took care of them to, uh, I mean, uh, a degree I think parents, like, fear having to watch. I, but I can't even, like, on that scale with your own child, I can't even imagine. freaks me out because I'm going to have kids soon. And <laughs> yeah, don't let it freak you out, though, because yeah. um, even though it sounds scary, as parents, for some reason, you just – this inner source of you know of just um the ability to take care of their needs it just comes out yeah so i I mean people say like oh it takes a special person no it's that's your child you you wouldn't think of doing anything else yeah i mean obviously there's those who just abandon their kids but you know for the most part when you go through the process of having a baby you just you handle what you're dealt and you know i think you got to give yourself a little more credit well i think it's the it's not the like, am I going to be strong enough sort of deal? But it's uh, it's more like the fear of in the situations where you really are kind of like helpless. Like, I can't perform surgery on, on a child. Right. You know? It was scary like, because like when he was born, um, they said, so where do you want to have his back surgery done? And um, and we were like, what are their options? Like, and <laughs> we have time to research. And, yeah. You know, so they said, well, you can either send him to U of M. Um, uh, Ann Arbor, the children's hospital there, or you can send him to, I forgot what the other options were, or you can just keep him right here at St. Joseph. And um, my, funny enough, my brother-in-law also has spina bifida. And so um, the doctor that, um, the neurosurgeon at St. Joseph actually closed my brother-in-law's back. Wow. And so my, when my mother-in-law found out that it was Dr. Portnoy that was there, she's like, oh no, you just got to leave him here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> And, um, and he put in his shunt as well. Oh. And, um, so I, I don't believe Dr. Portnoy could be alive anymore because he was ancient when he did that surgery. Yeah. I imagine if he he's did. probably, if he's alive, he's probably not practicing. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> let's hope so. <laughs> right. I am sorry, Dr. Portnoy, yeah. but, um, you know, he did a good job of, um, taking care of his back and his shunt. So yeah, yeah it was a, it was a little, cause we didn't know until he was born yeah. that he had this condition. So it was a little bit of a shocker and, but, um, and your husband, so your husband's brother yes. had it as well. 
Yes. So your husband grew up with someone with that yes. condition as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we kind of knew what we were facing, but yeah. each each person with spina bifida has yeah. very different a very different situation. So like yeah, my sure. brother in law doesn't have a shunt. Yeah. And he can walk without any kind of aids where my son uses a wheelchair. Yeah. So each one is different. It depends on how high that lesion goes on the the opening in the back. Yeah. That's crazy. It is pretty crazy. Um your other son is graduating, right? He's a that's, senior. That's what we said, yeah. Yes. Last semester, yeah. we're on our way. <laughs> Looking forward to be empty nesters in, a, in five, six years. <laughs> Hopefully, that's that's my goal. I mean, his anxiety always gets in his own way, and he says, "Like, whoa, what if I'm going to be homeless one day?" And he worries about that stuff. And I said, "I don't." I I tell you what, I worried about that stuff sometimes because my. You know, going back, childhood home was sold. I moved to LA with a suitcase of clothing, like a moron. Wow. <laughs> uh, so I had that fear, but like, you know, you figure it out. You have friends. Like, if things get real bad, like, you, right. you, you, you can, most people have like at least someone they can count on. Sure. He has like unreasonable. Yeah anxiety though yeah, so yeah. it takes a lot of like reassuring him that, yeah, no, it's... that when it's time to move out he'll be ready yeah. i just said it's a lot of reassuring like you yeah. always have a place here i yeah. said my my We're not kicking you out. <laughs> no the ground rules that you can stay as long as you need to but you have to have a job yeah that's fair <laughs> yeah i know people that were not in that boat um so what gets you i mean fast forward a little what gets you interested in politics? Where does that driving force come from? Because that's a leap, right? Like, it is a leap because I had zero interest my whole life. I mean, in fact, I didn't care about politics. My husband was a little bit of a junkie. And um, he got me into watching the, the presidential debates when they were on. And, and he really um, he encouraged me to vote. I really wasn't a voter before we were together. So. You're kind of apathetic when it came to politics. I was, I, because I, um, I just really, I was, I was in survival mode. I was yeah. just worried about making sure I had a roof over my head and a, a car to get to work. Yeah. And so, um, but um, same as you, 2016 was a game changer. Yeah. And in fact, um, the day after the election, I said I have to do something because I'm nervous. I, you know. President Trump um, is appointing um, Bessie DeVos to um, be our Secretary of Education. I have two kids, and at the time, my son, both my sons were in special education, and yeah. um, I had no idea like how their services at school were going to be affected. Um, and just his rhetoric—I mean, he mocked a reporter with a disability. Yeah. I mean, my goodness! And then, um, of course, there was that um, that audio clip yeah. where he t you know bragged about assaulting women yeah. and um and literally in october of 2016 i was um someone assaulted myself like sexually assaulted right on the street i was uh, at um the taste of clarkson downtown yeah, clarkson yeah. and i was standing with my husband and some man in a crowded street grabbed my crotch out of it my husband was right next to me he didn't see it and i was so stunned and so it was all of these things compiled together that made me um, really decide I needed to do something. Well, everything kind of felt like a personal attack, I imagine. Kind so, of, yeah. yeah. I mean, and this man, you know, just, he really didn't reflect any of my values. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the first thing I did, well, 
The night of the election, there was a Facebook group called Pantsuit Nation. Have you ever heard of Pantsuit Nation? No, but I can imagine what it is. <laughs> right. And it was just, I mean, it was like this national Facebook group of um, Hillary Clinton supporters. And I'm, I'm not the strongest. I wasn't the strongest Hillary Clinton supporter. I actually supported um, Bernie Sanders in the primary. But it was just somewhere that we could lean on each other and talk about our fears of going forward. And then, um, of course, the election happened and everybody was devastated. And then watching this organizing with this Facebook group, how it, it organized down to the state level yeah. and it... Um, it turned, you couldn't use Pantsuit Nation as a name, so they turned it into Ford Action Michigan. And then within like a week, there were like local chapters and, and people were just organizing like crazy. And I'd never been part of anything like that. So I met with um, people in North Oakland um, and uh, it was more of like a support group. Yeah, the, yeah. To me, there was no action. And so yeah. I decided I needed to do something different. So um I looked toward my local Democratic club. Um, and so my local club is the North Oakland Democratic Club. Were you raised in a Democratic household? Yes. Okay. Yeah. My mom, my mom was, you know, while she was alive, she was, she didn't know it, but she was a disability rights activist. Yeah. <laughs> she had no idea. She would leave notes on cars that were parked in um, handicapped spots illegally. Yeah. And when there was um, lack of access to a facility, she would write a letter to the editor. Yes. And so I watched this as a kid, and it, it, it really did affect me. Yeah. Um, and then my dad was um, not so active in politics, but he um, belonged to a UAW. Um, right. He was a union. And uh, um, so being growing up in a union household, it, I totally um, respected and, and acknowledged the the perks of that yeah. union membership. So and my, my parents always voted Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> it's always funny to see how that your household like affects because I, I have friends that grew up in a super right-wing household that are now like some of the most left-leaning people yeah i know, and then, I know there that happens yeah. and um no just we were always we just always voted blue um nothing radical or anything but yeah. um and then um so i joined my local club and then that night there was a it was a very first meeting of um 2017 so january 2017 people were getting ready to go to the women's march and yeah i didn't uh, one in lansing i went to the one in lansing too um and but there was a woman there um who wanted to start a indivisible chapter and i had never heard of indivisible and so i brought home this little flyer to uh, my husband and i said look at this indivisible and he's like yeah i heard about this on npr and we need to go so i think it was like january 23rd so it was like really soon into january um or the 2017, that um, 40 people showed up at um, um, a school in Oxford, um, Upland Hills, um, and we started North Oakland Indivisible. And uh, and I don't know if you know what Indivisible is. Mm-mm. So Indivisible was formed by former um, congressional staff, and it was um, a way to resist the Trump agenda through your representative. Okay. And because we have so many um, representatives in Michigan at the time yeah. that were Republican, and we knew that they were going to be in lockstep with our president, and they would just enforce everything that he wanted. Yeah. They would write bills that reflected what he wanted. And so um, we began our, uh, our, our agenda on how to take down Mike Bishop, who was our congressman at the time. And um, so Lois... Being 80-some years old, she started this chapter, but um, her health 
wasn't allowing her to lead the group. Yeah. So um, myself and um, a woman named Emily, we both co-chaired this group. And um, we had meetings. We had 70 people at a local library um, just talking about how how we could um, confront Mike Bishop or get Mike Bishop to even show up in public because what he was known for was not having any yeah. public events. Same with Dave Trump. Right, exactly. Yeah. Where David tried eventually did have a town hall. Yeah. He did. I mean, it was a big sham. But, yeah, um, yeah sim- very similar. Mike Bishop yeah. and David Trout were very, very similar. And so um, <clears throat> in April of two seven, 2017, um, myself and another woman named Gretchen, we organized a town hall for Mike Bishop. We invited him two months prior, so we gave him plenty of time to show up. Um, and... Uh, he was very angry. He actually, um, there was an, um, a, an article, I think it might have been in the Free Press or one of the Detroit papers where, I mean, the title was like, Mike Bishop fires back. And he was just angry that we organized this town hall without him. Yeah. So, and it was in Livingston County. It was in Howell, Michigan, which is part of the 8th District. And um, we had um, a group called a Meta Peace Team there just to make sure that things would stay safe because we just didn't know how people were going to react. Gotcha. And we had, you know, 500 people showed up and we invited candidates that were running for office, wow. um, including a, um, a young candidate named um, Abdul El-Sayed. It was probably yeah. one of his first big public um, events. And uh, we had um, somebody speaking um, on behalf of education. We had somebody there. Um, it was really early on with um, the Voters Not Politicians um, campaign. Mm-hmm. We had um, Chris Smith, who um, eventually ran for Congress himself in the 8th District. He, he primaried um, Alyssa Slacken. Okay. He lost his primary. But he um, that night was what inspired him to run. And, um, and it was a great success. I mean, the, um, the Wall Street Journal was there. We had no idea. We had a, a lot of natural, national press. It's got to give press. you a lot of energy, a lot it of did. fire. It did. It was. Yeah. It was a, a, an amazing thing to be part of. And um, people were so grateful to have... Um, an event like that because they were just everyone was hungry to get um, you know just be able to speak to their congressman and, yeah. and, and talk to him about health care and, and um, tax cuts and all of the things that were going on in Washington and um, instead of Mike Bishop we actually had a cardboard cut out of his image on the stage <laughs> you know it was one of those gimmicks that um, like at the David Trot it was like a chicken or something, right? Yeah, it was something something like that, yeah. like chicken trot or I forgot. So yeah. that was in April of 2017. And I continued running that group. Um, and um, I invited every candidate I could to come speak to the group. And we had, um, you know, different um, activists from different campaigns, like voters, not politicians, and um, promote the vote. All of the... Um, like the ballot initiatives that were going that were on the 2018 yeah. um, ballot. So, yeah, so I just kept organizing meetings and running this group and uh keeping uh we would organize um uh we would organize and and meet Mike Bishop wherever we heard he was going to be, kind of um, bird dogging him just to try to get in front of him, you know, because yeah. he was he was making all these decisions on our behalf and he claimed it was you know good for us but yeah. we we thought quite the opposite so um and then eventually it turned into supporting candidates like Alyssa Slack and I was a very early on volunteer for her campaign nice it's really got your got your feet wet 
pretty Definitely. quick. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I was a precinct captain, I think. So I was responsible for precinct one of Independence Township. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a, it's a funny thing because obviously there's there's two ways to look at that time. Depend. I mean, obviously depending on how you think, but um, and it's like it's really depressing. <laughs> but then if you're involved, like there's so much energy there, and there's so I went to a lot of voters, not politicians stuff, and um, and one thing I want to kind of segue off here because I think it's important with the amount of divisiveness that's out there. And we've talked about this somewhat on here. We, I don't talk about politics on the show a lot because it is divisive uh, for a lot of people. And the thing, especially on this level, that I think could be helpful is, um, and my buddy Jeff, who was on this a long time ago, but he pointed out, you know, if he says he's a Republican automatically, you're like, oh, you're a racist. You're like, there's a lot of labels from the extreme right or the extreme left that get assigned to anybody that puts that label on like Republican or Democrat on themselves, you know, like, um, you know, if you say you're a Democrat, oh, you're a fascist. If you say you're a Republican, you're a racist. And there's just extremes that get applied to people where there's actually like a whole world of similarities, uh, regarding personal issues that you can address. Um, and a lot of like similar opinions that easily cross the aisle. Uh, and with that in mind, going into because you're running for state representative correct correct yeah what do you see that role as because um, obviously like i mean when i was looking at congressional representatives in washington like you're talking about dave trot and um, bishop i expect them to represent the entire district right like whatever the majority on issues is in that district and that's measurable to a degree uh what do you see as your role as a state representative? Well, I see my, my role as um, rep- representing more of the people because um, this district has been represented by a Republican for decades. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I just don't think that um, that reflects everyone that lives here. Yeah. I'm, I live here. So. <laughs> and, um, and well, and the reason how I came to run um, was I was recruited actually. Okay. So um, in the spring of 2018, I got a phone call and um, from the Michigan um, Democrat House Caucus, and they said, "We are trying to fill all of these gaps in these districts that there's no candidate for." And um, I was really not about it because it was going to be such a huge commitment, and I just. You know, as women, we would never feel like we're enough. We don't have the right experience. We don't have the right education. Um, the only thing I had was um, my fast track in activism over the last year or so. Yeah. And um, so um, my husband, he encouraged me to do it. He's like, just do it. You know, I think he's like, you've got the passion. You have, um, you know, enough reasons behind why you should run. So do it. And so um, I filed, and, and, and when you file for office, you have the opportunity to sign a waiver so you don't have to um, report your campaign um, fundraising, but you can only raise up to $1,000. And I almost did that just to kind of put my name on the line and just yeah. kind of see what happened. Um, but at the last minute, I decided not to do that. I decided to give it the best shot I could. Yeah. So, um, And 
you know, and like you said, it's it's challenging when you when you have a label as like a Democrat. You know, you you're a libtard or you're a yeah. radical or whatever. And um, it was a quick adjustment because, um, you know, where we live, there are people that have very extreme views, and um, I knew that I was going to have to um, engage with folks that thought very differently than me. So it was a lot. It was a quick, quick. Um, gain of skills of how to engage with folks and yeah, um, i mean i've seen the pictures you go door to door like that's that's right i mean frightening to me <laughs> right and, and and i mean when you when you canvas there's ways of filtering outdoors you go to it's not like i'm gonna go to you know uh, a household that um you know has a, a trump banner in front of it or anything like that although this year i will be yeah. because every vote matters and um so, uh, but my role is, is to, um, give voters in the 43rd district a choice because our state has declined so much under Republican leadership. Yeah. I mean, our infrastructure is so underinvested and our schools, I mean, when I graduated in 1990, we were in top of the nation and we've plummeted to the bottom within decades. Um, so in, in our environment, we are... In the 43rd District, in Waterford and Clarkson, we have so many bodies of water. And to me, the priority in Lansing right now is not to protect them. It's, it's, it's leaning towards making sure businesses get their cut. Yeah. And, and that's at the expense of our drinking water. And um, so I, my role is, to, is a choice of potentially improving our state. Um, and um, I have to... Um, really um when i engage with voters i have to really be careful about um how i talk to them and um you know because it is my job is to find that common ground yeah. like how you know even if i'm talking to somebody who leans republican what can i say to earn their vote yeah. and i'm going to talk to them about issues like that like our infrastructure um you know it, we know that our roads are underinvested we see them especially every spring when all these potholes open up and there are there have been a lot of projects improving our roads, but overall our roads are not in good shape. And that's that's just our roads, our bridges are another story. Yeah, and I think on the, I mean, I don't know if you share this or not, but like on the state level, I think there's a lot more, um, like this this back and forth with you and, and learning about what you want to do. I think no, not a lot of people find out much about their state reps and everything. Um, and when you do stuff like vote straight tickets, whether it's Democrat or Republican, I think you're like really throwing away a lot because you, even if, if you, even if you're like right leaning, there might be somebody like in your local district that's, you know, what Waterford, Lake Angeles and Clarkston, right? Mm -hmm. Basically. <laughs> um, like your neighborhood that is going to be, have like your interests better in mind than uh, whoever else. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, there's, when it's big issues that are going to be essentially handled at Washington on that level, um, sure. But when it's something that like could literally directly affect you and it's your home state and it's it's your neighborhood, I, I think there's a lot more research and listening that should be done to really uh, at least educate yourself on, on who's in your area. Because some people just do it. Because, you know, there's no opposing party. Like, they reached out to you because there wasn't anybody, right? That's right. right. And um, 
I mean, I saw that as an uphill battle in itself because, yeah, the, hist- the history on it is. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, when I filed, I met with somebody from the caucus and they were like, yeah, there's like 20 um, competitive races in the state and you're number 21. So they said, thank you for your service and thank you for signing up to do this. And, you know, and I, I made the most of it. And I don't think anyone knew that um, the grounds that we would make in yeah. 2018, because soon after the primary of 2018, everything shifted and suddenly... Suddenly, to see my face on television with a negative ad for months, that was pretty bizarre. I mean, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> especially when the messaging was not even even accurate at all. I yeah. mean, it, it was just this message that I supported a $32 trillion healthcare takeover. And that's so bizarre because that's a federal issue. That's nothing a state representative could even yeah. vote on. So I was hoping that people <laughs> saw through that and... Um, understood that that's not even in um even possible even if elected so um yeah and 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 honestly i met people who did support trump but then i earned their vote because i talked to them about issues that were closer to home like our auto insurance rates at the time there was no reform there was a bill that passed this last spring by the time you know people are were really upset about how much they were spending to insure their cars. And so I knew when I when I would meet somebody who wasn't necessarily leaning my way, I would t- that's usually what I would talk about because it affects their pocketbook. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of Michigan specific issues that people don't even think about. Sure. On that level and that's that's where I think if you do some research and talk to people mm-hmm. you find out like that's where uh I mean, I don't know what your thought is, but like I said, I don't I don't really agree with straight ticket. I think I learned, especially with 2016, like do research, learn your candidates, like know, mm-hmm. know what they're about, especially primaries when you have a lot of people on the board, like a lot of people don't even vote in primaries and it's, it's, it's I don't know. I, and I, most importantly, look at, and this is what people don't really look at, look at where their money's coming from. All of your donations yeah. are public record. Yeah. Look at where their money's coming from yeah. because, um, that will tell you a lot of how a person's going to vote. Yeah. If you're getting money from special interests, that's what they're going to vote for. Yeah. That's the stuff that drives me the most nuts is, I mean, campaign finance reform. is. <laughs> it definitely. Michigan is one of the worst in the country. We have a, um, a Citizens United version here in Michigan. And so, so much dark money can flow in and you have no idea where it comes from. But yeah. There's still a, um, a political action committee, like a PAC, yeah. that still has their name out there. And if you look, like if you look at my opponents, you'll see that they're, um, she is getting a ton of special interest money, yeah. whereas mine all come from individual donors. And it's uh, like the, the question I asked you earlier, and I didn't ask it like with any agenda, but when I said like, what does a state rep do, mm-hmm. in your opinion, and, and looking at who we've had in the past, uh, both in the most recent election and before that, like I couldn't attach their name to anything, uh, which is one reason why I ask Cause like what kind of difference can you make? And then what kind of difference are they making? Are they all, you know, going to Lansing, uh, regardless of like around the state, is everybody just going to Lansing and, and voting with their party on whatever it is? Typically, or is there somebody yes. that's like actually there, um, representing their area, their district, their neighborhoods and, fighting for specific issues that matter to them Mm -hmm. and that's 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 with our district um i don't see that happening 
in the past. I think there's, like you said, some big donors that pay for campaign ads when they're necessary, and otherwise you don't really <laughs> hear much. No, I mean, like, I think the probably the most um, controversial that of um, the representatives that have come out of this district recently was um, Jim Tedder. He yeah. was really pushing to um, repeal the income tax. Um, it failed. Um, and my husband actually did a good job of... Um, <clears throat> cornering him verbally um, on that because uh, my husband was, he asked him, I said, where were you going to make up this revenue from? And Representative Tedder had no answer. He's like, oh, well, we'll come up with that after we, after we repeal the income tax. And that's just not very reassuring, especially when we know we have roads that are crumbling and our schools don't have enough money. So, um, you know, I don't think that um, cutting taxes is necessarily the way that Michigan needs to go. People think that we're overtaxed, but if you look at your tax base compared to other states, we are actually are pretty low. Yeah. So it's 2020. Yes. <laughs> we're here. Ramp, ramping up. Yes. Um, I mean, what's, what's the next seven to nine months look like for you? <laughs> the next seven to nine months, let's say it's January. Yeah. So we have yeah, around nine months left. I am going to be knocking on doors like an insane person. <laughs> I um, We have a very aggressive um, field plan. And so um, we'll be focusing on the Waterford area because that is the area that is trending um, more towards my favor. Yeah. Um, the demographics in Waterford have changed quite a bit. Um, it used to be an aged community of union workers and um, yeah. older folks that tended to vote Republican, but a lot of those homes have been replaced by young families. Yeah, that I, are I know a lot of those people. <laughs> right, and they're looking for good schools. They want to keep their water clean. Yeah. And so it is trending more Democrat down there, and, um, and it's going to be house by house, door by door, knocking and talking to people and offering folks a choice of, uh, you know, a person who has... Um, who's had some of the same struggles they've had. Yeah. Um, you know, I know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck or, and um, making really difficult choices of, you know, am I paying my rent or am I buying groceries? And so, um, or like my opponent um, revealed that I struggled paying for my property taxes. You know, people are, have these struggles. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that that's like a, supposed to be an attack thing. <laughs> anything you get you get some of the sympathy and empathy vote right <laughs> well sometimes but then people can see it as being irresponsible but um when it was going on it, we were you know we were coming out of a recession yeah where a lot of people lost a lot during that time yeah and so um and that's what i'm going to focus on it are, are those people that have been left behind whether with um stagnant wages or their health care costs are just so expensive yeah. and like i said i've shared those same experiences and so um, it's important that um, we talk about those things and um, they have a representative that really does care about them and not about, you know, the the special interest organizations that are stuffing money into my opponent's pocket. Yeah. Um, what, I don't know if the, I don't know if the right word is platform, but like, I mean, you've mentioned uh, clean water and infrastructure and schools. Um I mean, that, that could be a platform right there, right? Those are my, those are my three, um, you know, those are my three priority um, issues for okay. sure, because those affect everybody, no matter yeah. what party you vote for. I mean, the majority of the folks in the 43rd send their kids to public schools. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, we all drink water. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, most of us drive on these roads. So yeah, these are very these common. Roads. <laughs> right. I mean, so these are these are not radical things to talk about. Yeah. These are all things that we share and we all want improved because we we do pay into a system that is supposed to maintain these um, our roads and we're just not getting um, we're not getting a, a return on investment. Yeah. Hmm. Um, that's, that's all I got. Is, okay. do, you, do, you, do we not cover anything you want to talk about? Um, yeah, well, I guess um, going forward, um, yeah, besides knocking on doors, I would be um, uh, looking for folks to have uh, host house parties yeah. to invite their friends and um, their neighbors, especially um, if they want to invite their neighbors over and just get me in front of them and let me talk about what is important to me and what I plan to do. Um, because a lot of people don't pay attention to um, the their candidates at this level. Yeah. I mean, all eyes are on the presidential race right now, obviously. Yeah. And so um, people don't, and they don't realize um, how impactful state politics are and, and state laws. They don't, they don't realize how it does affect their every life, everyday yeah. life. I mean, for example, this is how ridiculous state politics are. Um, our last representative, Jim Tedder, he was... Um, he was part of a bill that um, banned the banning of plastic bags. I don't know if you ever heard of this. So there's a law in the books that bans communities from banning plastic bags. What? <laughs> this is true. So I, like, let's say downtown Clarkston wants to ban plastic bags like for their restaurants. They have to use yeah. non-plastic bags. There is a ban on that ban. A ban on the ban. Yes. Only in politics. <laughs> right. <laughs> and guess who's behind it? That's crazy. The Restaurant Association. Yeah. That's, so that's nuts though. That's it's insane. Yeah. But there's all kinds of stuff I'm like the saying. like marijuana laws and yeah. um they've actually just raised the age of um uh young people that have been convicted of crimes that like you you have you um you can't be tried as an adult if you're under 18. There's you know so there's some really good things happening and yeah. then there's some really bad things happening. I mean, if you want to talk about gun violence, there's there's legislation that are strengthening our gun laws, and then there's the other side where they're trying to um, repeal any kind of permit of when you're carrying a handgun. Yeah. So the, it's the extreme of both sides, and I think neither of them are going to go anywhere with a, having a split, yeah. um, you know, executive branch and a um, legislator. Um, uh, so um, it's interesting to watch to see what legislation is introduced. And the thing is, there's tons of legislation introduced, but it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. It's just like a grandstand for somebody yeah. that has an idea of what they want to do. And then there's some really good things that have made it all the way into being a law. So um, people just don't pay attention to it because it's not on your nightly news. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's I think the the overall like bottom line is like, a lot happens at the state level that I think isn't on people's radar when they go to the polls. Right. And it should be. Because that's going to be. be what affects you the most. Absolutely. I know. That's why I mean, like, um, you know, MSNBC or Fox or CNN or whatever you watch at yeah. night. Um, yeah, they talk about what's going on in, in Washington, D.C., but you have to, you actually have to seek out information um, yeah. at the state level. And um, there's a lot of things that happen that people don't even know. Yeah. So um, I, that's, that's why going door to door is so important because yeah. you can talk about these things when you knock on someone's door and, and uh, they can meet you and they see that you're not some radical person ready to tax and spend <laughs> their money. It's not, that's not what it, you know, that's not what I'm about. 
So um, door-to-door um, canvassing is absolutely important. And yeah. um, if anyone is interested, they can always get a hold of my campaign. Well, speaking of yeah, uh, seeking out information, uh, where can people find more information on your campaign and, and you? And um, I have a website, votenicolebraden.com. Okay. Um, last name is spelled B-R-E-A-D-O-N. <laughs> what um, are the different versions you get? <laughs> <laughs> there's a, you could spell Braden like a million ways. So yeah. I, uh, when I do um, uh, make phone calls and I leave voicemails, I always spell out my last yeah. name because it's, you could spell it uh, probably a dozen different ways. <laughs> so votenicolebraden.com. Mm-hmm. And your Instagram is the same thing, right? Vote Nicole Braden? I think so. Right? I think so too. I think if you just search for it, it'll pop up. Yeah. And I have a, I have a strong Facebook, Facebook presence. Yeah. That's probably my favorite platform. And then I'm I'm really working on my Twitter account. <laughs> oh, see, you're out of my purview. <laughs> I'm, I'm Twitter's a, tough. And again, it's, it really, it's really bizarre how it, it works is. and how do people become like really uh, viral on Twitter is really yeah. beyond me. My wife spends most of her social media time on Twitter. Uh, she doesn't like post stuff, but just go, like that's her source of. Yeah, it's probably whatever. the most up to date. That's that's what they say. Like yeah. when you want to um, follow um, reporters and different yeah. journalists, that's that's where you go. Oh yeah, if a story's breaking, I'll go to Twitter just because, uh, you know, most news sources have to confirm a lot of things before they can report on it. Whereas Twitter's just a bunch of morons with phones right. around. Well, and it's our president's platform of choice, so yeah. it must be the it must be the place to be. <laughs> Well, on that note, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming and doing this. I, I love it. I'm going to, actually, when we're done here, I'll show you the schedule I have for releasing everything. Okay. <laughs> All right. You just listened to my interview with Nicole Braden. Uh, that was such a such a unique thing to get to do, is sit down and literally interview um a potential candidate that's going to be on your on your ballot that I don't think that gets to happen for very many people so that I thank her again for taking the time and and it's nice to see her uh, continue with this passion that she's found and what a what a just caretaker um, I, I know I tied on that theme but someone that took care of her mother um, right up until the end of her life and then um, took care of her kids as they struggled with some of the disabilities they had growing up. And now she kind of wants to take care of her district. And I think that's pretty commendable. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but party lines aside, I think it's it's important to really vote um, in favor of your own, like, local, smaller values. You know, the big picture stuff uh, is is for Washington and for the presidential election, but that that smaller stuff for your state representatives. I think if you can really take some time to get to know what they are all about, um, literally the roads you drive on, um, the lakes that you go to, the beaches that you go to, especially in Michigan, it's super important um, that you know that people are out there looking out for your individual interests, and at that level, that's that's really what their job is. So. Do some research and um, check out Nicole Braden on Facebook at Vote Nicole Braden. And uh, I know she's looking for people to do phone banks and canvassing and stuff. So if you guys are interested in something like that, that is always an opportunity as well. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview. I know I did. And uh, looking forward to a lot more. And this is the first interview of a whole month of 
promotional interviews. There's a lot of promotions going on. Each interview, someone will be promoting something. Uh, I've got some artists, some musicians, um, some really amazing people on, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And I'll be mentioning some of the other former guests um, that might be promoting something as well. So thank you so much, and keep reviewing and rating and sharing and subscribing. If you haven't already, please, please, please go to Apple Podcasts app and leave a review and a rating. Um, go to Facebook and leave a review, a recommendation. Anything you can do to support the show is greatly appreciated. Thank you, everyone who has reached out to me. I love you guys. Have a great week.